This is Rugga Matrix America. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Alex Goff from Goff Rugby Report, and uh, reminding you that you can listen to all the Rugga Matrix America podcasts on RuggaMatrix.com, also at GolfRugbyReport.com, and check it out on iTunes. And remember that there's also the Rugga Matrix International Show. But we're here with uh, Bruce McLean and Pat Clifton, and this is uh, a show that I guess I guess it's pretty obvious what we got to do and talk about. We're midway through the World Cup in terms of pool play, not midway through the World Cup in terms of time. And we got to talk about what we've seen so far. So um, we want to get right into it. And guys, first of all, the uh, on a general on a general topic, there have been a couple of games that were really really fun to watch that were didn't involve the USA. And and I don't think we're surprised that um, England Wales was an exciting game and an important game, um, but we didn't exactly peg Japan versus South Africa to be the game that it was obviously being an upset, but also even just it being close. Um, uh, what were some of the things that you've been um, pleasantly surprised by disappointed by what have you seen? I think it's been a pretty good world cup in terms of competitiveness Maybe the some of the tier two nations haven't been able to string together eighty minutes, but man, that that New Zealand Argentina game was fantastic. Argentina was was outstanding, and even Argentina's second match, they were they were pushed to the limit for a half, and then they opened it up. So, and, and that seems to be what happens is that the good teams, the the top tier teams, will. Always keep themselves, stay within striking distance, stay within striking distance, and then they'll keep churning their points over, they'll kick their points, and then eventually they'll something will happen where there'll be a defensive lapse and they'll score, and then after that defensive lapse and the team scores, generally the uh, the Tier 2 nation or tends to do something foolish and give them another score, and the next thing, then the game starts to get away from them. Which is what good teams do to teams that aren't as uh, as experienced. But I got to say that the, the spirit, the hitting, the fans, the attendance, the it, I find the World Cup to be very entertaining and has been a really good spectacle up till now. Is there? Uh, I, I always wonder about an issue about halftime. I mean, if you're if you're building a an upset and your team is putting absolutely everything into that performance. Does halftime come and just take the momentum away? Does it, does it take the adrenaline away? I mean, I, you know, sometimes in, uh, in a bunch of competitive situations that I've personally been in, um, on a very low level, you know, once you start to think about, wow, I could win this when you haven't won it. Once you start thinking about that, you're in trouble. So I just wonder sometimes if halftime is something that some of these teams don't want. Well, I, I want to answer that, and I know Pat might want to, but the I think in particular you're talking about the USA versus Scotland. and, and But what happened just prior to the half where we knocked on at the goal line was, was probably more telling than the halftime. And 
hey, look, that happens. It's a mistake. And, and it's how you react to it, not necessarily what the mistake is. And I don't think that we reacted particularly well. Halftime, we know halftime is coming. So we know how long halftime is going to be. It's not a secret that it, it a, at a club level game or a collegiate level game, sometimes, hey, how long is the half? Five minutes, the training out, three minutes, you know, it's hot out, 10 minutes. So it, it, that changes. But the World Cup has a pretty definitive halftime. And the, um, when you start thinking about uh, failure, that's when pressure comes. Mm-hmm. Because you, you you're starting to think when you start when you have pressure you start thinking about failure and and that's that just can't happen. Like, great fighters don't think about when they're going to get knocked out; they just knock the opposition out. And and that's why the All Blacks game against Argentina was so great. Argentina would have beaten any team in the world if they had played the game that they played against the All Blacks. But they didn't beat the All Blacks. In fact, they lost by 10 points. And that was because the All Blacks kept their composure and never, ever once thought of failure. And even when they had the heat of the game down there, you know, really bearing down their neck. And and I thought that that was amazing. And I think that that's what great teams do. Great teams are very consistent and they play exactly that way. And, and the, that's what the separates the Tier 2 teams from the Tier 1 teams. When they say, oh, it's all mental, it's all mental. Well, there is a mental conditioning that comes from the belief in knowing that you can do your job. Confidence comes from demonstrated ability. Confidence doesn't come from something telling you, hey, you're great, you're awesome, you're this. It comes from demonstrated ability. And until you demonstrate it time and time again and prove it to yourself, it's very difficult to gain. I think halftime is, you know, there are three big entities at halftime. One is the team that's losing. And we're talking about the Eagles, you know, are, there, are they taking a moment to take stock of what's really happening? And we're not really beating Scotland, are we? We're not really only down four against Australia, are we? So they can get in their own heads, but also the winning team. It's time for the winning team to take stock and say, we're not really losing to the USA right now. We're not really only up by four, are we? And so they, you know, what they, how they react to halftime is obviously going to be a big variable. And then I think maybe the most important and underrated one is what the referee thinks at halftime. Am I really calling a game right now? And I think this is subconscious, but am I really calling a game right now that has the USA beating Scotland? I know that there are going to be a lot of questions asked if I have the, if I referee the USA win over Scotland or if I referee the USA win over Australia or this massive tier two to tier one upset. Is that, you know, is, do I need to correct some of the things I'm doing? And, and again, I don't think that's a, a conscious decision and, and those are the conscious questions that a referee is asking himself. But I think subconsciously it, it plays into it. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that some of those, you know, refereeing decisions go a different way in the first 20 minutes of that that uh, second half against Scotland, that the game might change. You know, it wasn't necessarily the fact that they were able to get a couple scores up quick, but the fact that the USA was stuck on its goal line defending um, exhausted them, and, and that changed the complexion of the game. So, and, I, and I'm not in any way putting the, uh, the the game on the referee. I don't want it to come across as that. I'm just saying that it's not just about what one team does at halftime. It's about what's the referee going through in his head at halftime, and what is what are the winning team or the losing team in the USA Scotland scenario 
Um, what are they thinking at halftime? So I, I do think halftime is a, an area, just like, you know, the 30 minutes leading up to the, to the game, the, your, your, your warm-up, it's a sneaky area that you have to treat carefully and, and be uh, calculated in it, or it can lose you again occasionally. You know, there's a lot of makeup calls that happen we see in games, right? Somebody, some ref misses something or he makes a mistake, and so you think that uh, some, some things are going to go another way in the second half and we see that a lot uh you know and 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 the the discussion Bruce and I have had and we, and we had on this show about referee calls it's more about the thing is there's so much interpretation that there are things that are allowed all through international rugby frequently but then technically they're penalties so the, it's a penalty once or twice, but most of the time it's not, and that's kind of really that's 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 strange, and that that that's the thing that sort of gets me is when we know it's well, you can say yeah, it's a penalty, but um, you haven't called that in three years, but now you're calling it. Um, right. get, you know what? I know this is taking a little derailing a little bit, but that is that's probably right. now that I'm coaching and someone gives me a paycheck to coach. And, my wins and losses mean more to me, and not that I never, they didn't mean a lot to me before, but, it's, you know, the complexion of uh, how a win and loss affects my day-to-day life is different now than it was prior. It, it, that's maybe my biggest frustration is, you know, I'll, I'll listen to a pregame chat from a referee telling me about how after a guy makes a tackle, he needs to come up and, and show clear separation between um, him and the guy he just tackled, um, and he'll say something like, well, some teams like it. You know, they make their guys clap, or they make them put their hands in the air. How many times in an international game do you see Richie McCall look like he's praising Allah or clapping before he goes for a ball, or anybody else? Um, you know, that's probably, and I know I'm derailing it a bit, but you, you mentioned that, that there's all these sorts of things that happen in international games that are technically penalties that uh, get interpreted differently here domestically. That's probably my biggest frustration in terms of um, refereeing in the United States is, I don't know how many of these referees are watching international games and seeing how the people that are at the top of their game and what they're doing in refereeing are interpreting certain things at the breakdown mm-hmm. versus they're reading an email and trying to interpret that email from their immediate supervisor yeah. instead of watching how the game's actually refereed. Have you, have you ever watched a game with a referee? I haven't. They are, they are the worst about um, dumping on the referee on the field. The worst. Yeah. So that's a, I, I, I still remember calls that, uh, um, like, you know, calls that were like, you, you didn't let that go with us, but you let it go with the other team. And why is that? And that cost us thing. I still remember those things. It's tough. Um, I think it's interesting though, that, uh, I mentioned, um, obviously the, the, the Japan South Africa game and the England Wales game is two of the, the games that were, um, you know, really, really, fu- really fun to watch. But, yeah, Canada-Italy was fun to watch. But those two were refereed by the same person, Jerome Garces. So, uh, <laughs> of of interest, that two two very, very close games that were actually, you might say, went against what people would expect. You know, the, the host country loses on a, in a very close game. And, of course, one of the favorites loses to a, to Japan, which nobody's expecting. Um That'll that that's interesting, and Garces uh, will be refereeing Ireland Italy, so we'll see how he does there too. Um, maybe Italy will come through in a, with an upset. 
We'll see. Um, one of the other things about the tournament, is, and uh, you know, I just want to get where you you guys think about this. And I I, I was in um, New Zealand four years ago. There was an awful lot of talk still about how the minnows were doing well. Uh, you know, Romania pushed. I think it was Scotland really close, and 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 various teams were were losing, but they were losing close games. And everyone talked about how the minnows were better. The minnows were better. I don't actually hear that term used anymore. Nobody talks about the minnows. What we're talking about is the fact that pretty much every game that we've had has been a, a competitive rugby game-like score. Even, you know, New Zealand 58, Namibia 14. That's a score we've seen in the Six Nations. Uh, 50 to 7, Ireland over Canada is probably the biggest, you know, most emphatic blowout because the one try that Canada got was an interception try. It was a little bit lucky. Um, for the most part, they're just regular scores. And uh, I, I think perhaps maybe at least now, at this point, we've gotten to that point where there's enjoyable competition and not just a steamrolling. Well, I think it's, we're only halfway through pool play for, True. you know, for all intents and purposes. USA still has to play Scotland. Is that going to be a 60-point game, a 50-point game? Well, let's hope it's not anything more. Um, so there are still some of those games that have to be played uh, where they could get pretty lopsided. And I think as the tournament wears on and some of that excitement of the first round or second round wears off and it's become clear that certain teams are playing for something while other teams aren't, then the uh, the possibility of some of these big, huge blowouts um, gets a little bit bigger. You know, I, I went and looked at what we've done so far, the Eagles, and, and, and what um, is on the horizon and, and, you know, the fact that we're sharing pretty obviously to me at a, at a 0 and 4 World Cup and at best a 1 and 3 World Cup and, and looked, you know, and just put it, wanted to put it in a little bit of a historical context. And, you know, this World Cup's no different than any other World Cup we've ever had. The Eagles are no better in points, you know, in points wide than they have ever been. Um, yes, they, they led Scotland, but um, the last time they played Scotland in a World Cup, it was a one point different than what it was this time. This time it was 39 15, and the last time it was 39 16. So it's the same thing. Um, you know, we, we, we've played England um, to the closest game ever in a World Cup, 28-10. We played Ireland to 22-10. Um, so it's not, I don't, in terms of the U.S., looking at us, and I think it's safe to say that we're a minnow in a lot of teams' eyes, um, it hasn't been starkly different. We'll see what they do against South Africa. Um, you know, if they, if they hold it close to South Africa at halftime, then that would certainly be an improvement um, over what they did against Australia in 2011 or South Africa in 2007. Um, but as of right now, just looking through the, the red, white, and blue glasses, there's there's no veritable improvement in terms of how they're winning and losing. No. And I would, think, I would say on the USA, you're absolutely right. I think overall we're seeing a, a better showing from teams that, even teams that are losing on their, their games for the moment. And more to the point, more to my point anyway, we're not getting that condescending, oh, good for you presentation. We're getting more of a, just, a, just a note that they, this was the score. And this team played well and they made well, mistakes I don't know here. how you guys feel, but I, I almost feel it's just as condescending or just as offensive that, and this is only the second World Cup I've legitimately paid attention to, but over the last three weeks I keep seeing these articles about, you know, I'm tired of the term giant awakening. I'm sure everyone else is. Oh, too. yeah. Well. But... But these, these these articles about how America's going to turn the corner, or are they about to turn the corner? 
it's like they only care once every four years when we're back in a tournament with their teams. Um, but it's almost, it just outlines the ignorance about what's really going on in American rugby from the international rugby media that I find that ignorance um, just as offensive as calling us a minnow, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. I don't know how you guys feel if you guys got the... Yeah, it's been going a long time. Yeah, it's fine. And that, I mean, that's, that's, that's also locally, right? That that's us based reporters talking about the sport that they don't cover very often. Right. And, and, and just, you know, let's, let's talk about, you know, yeah, giant awakening, whatever. I mean, you know, um, and so I've seen some stats show, showing the the kind of participation numbers and increased participation numbers in the United States, saying, I, you know, the Giants is already awake um, on that level. But it's just, you know, people don't know what to ask, so they're going to ask. I wish that. I had these statistical numbers in front of me, but some of these are staggeringly overblown, right? Sure. Like, there's a difference between saying that a stadium has twenty thousand and it really has twelve thousand, versus saying a stadium has twenty thousand and really has fifteen hundred which is what some of these participation numbers are screaming to me. To suggest that there are really 3 million people playing rugby in the United States is absurd, and mm-hmm. I've seen something in that neighborhood. Um, maybe 300 people have played a flag game once in the entire time that they've been alive. That's uh, what they're measuring. Yeah, I, 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 I don't believe that to be true either. So we've got to figure yeah. out how we're counting here. Right. Because uh, <laughs> I think it, it hurts you to over-inflate yeah. some of these numbers. Okay, uh, before we get fully into the Eagles, let's talk about um, how this all ends up. We made some predictions, stuff like that, and uh, you know, let's let's talk about some of these pools and how they end up uh, from what we've seen so far. Uh, pool of death, Pool A, Australia, Wales, England. I think we all agreed that was the case. Um, I'm the one who backed off Wales, saying, you know, I, I made a prediction in another publication that Wales was going to be the team you'd be surprised about. But then Lee Halfpenny goes down and thinking, yeah, maybe not. Maybe it's England. But Wales goes and beats England anyway. Wales is 2-0. and uh, Australia is 2-0. Um, how does this pool finish up, uh, Bruce? There was a really excellent article on uh, Green and Gold Rugby about scrum analysis in the Wales-England game and, and showing some of the things that England had done to cheat and how it was picked up by Garces incorrectly. And then Wales cheated and it, and Garces picked it up incorrectly. Uh, they're cheating through the loose head, both of them were. Um, and it was, it was a fantastic article and definitely worth a read. I think Australia is going to beat England. And I think that um, England is not going to qualify. And I thought that England was going to qualify. And, um, and I think that's going to be the case. And I would find that to be amazing. That would be a brilliant story and would make the World Cup um, worth watching, if for nothing else, that they get to watch with us. <laughs> Yeah, I want I want to go back to to one other thing. You yeah, said. sure. Uh, refer, referee make up calls. I, I I don't believe referees at the elite level make up calls, <clears throat> meaning that they if they make a call they don't do a make up. And the other the other thing that I would that I would like to say is that 
I don't believe our referees watch enough international rugby, but neither do our players and our coaches. And and not that international rugby doesn't necessarily, it's not the same game as we play. I mean, we may think it is, but it's not. And we, we don't get up as quickly. We don't have good, we don't have as many great skills. We, there are things that we just don't do. So the refereeing of it isn't the same as the refereeing in an international level. So I would be, like, I would be, tell people to, you're better off going through a breakdown on defense than going for the ball just because you tend not to have that good a balance when you're going for the ball. So your ability to hold your body weight and pick a ball up off the ground after you got fell down and then got back up, that, that, that's not a skill that most of our, of our um, athletes have. Um, I, but I, and the thing about rugby that's a problem is that you, Pat, myself, and a referee, or you can have two of the best coaches in the world and two of the best referees in the world, watch the exact same thing, have four different opinions, and all be right. And and that's that's part of the allure of rugby, but it's also part of the problem with rugby. And the thing about our players, say, not being in a professional environment, well, the, the part about the training and the skills, I don't buy at all. Because there are there are Olympic athletes and people who toil in obscurity for nothing and have day jobs and things and they win gold medals. Or they go to law school when they win gold medals. So our players need to work harder on their skills and their conditioning if they want to be there. Where I think that they get that not being in a professional environment is that they're not dealing with a referee in a competitive match knowing what they can get away with and what they can't. That's the place where I think it matters. But in terms of, oh, you know, because I'm not training at Gloucester, I'm not, you know, I'm not, tra- that's nonsense. That, that to me is complete nonsense. And you, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a complaint that a lot of uh, international players have had playing domestically is that um, they're trying to play and do things at an international level that they're not allowed to do by the domestic referees. And, 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 and the reality is a lot of them don't train as hard. As they're supposed to, yeah. So I mean, we we you know we can call a spade a spade, but the the, the fact of the matter is, we, we could blame referees on things, and and certainly believe me, they 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 are have a lot of blame to come their way. But there is also the fact of you're giving yourself a built-in alibi, and you know you, you are a professional long before you're paid, and if you're not then when you get to the professional or the elite level, you're going to get found out. As Joe Frazier said, if you ain't running at 5 o'clock in the morning under the dark, under the moonlight, you are going to get found out under the bright lights. And there are people who get found out under the bright lights of international rugby because they haven't put the time in that they were supposed to over the course of the years. It's not every four years. It's every day for 10 years leading up to that four-day that two-week and one-month tournament. That's what it is. And that's why we lose. You talk about anything else. That's the reason. There are not 31 men over there who've done that thing, and they're not 2,000 pushing them by doing the exact same thing. It's not happening. And that's, that's the difference between 
a New Zealand, and actually an Argentina, or that's what they're doing. You can say, oh, they're being paid. Or, all right, then, hey, if you're not hungry enough to do it without getting paid, then all right, that's fair enough. But don't, don't bitch about it then. Well, I think, I think we saw that difference in the sevens team, didn't we? We saw a team that was made professional, uh, not paid a lot, but they're paid and, and full-time training environment, didn't get any better. Probably got worse until we had a coach come in and hold them to a standard and explain to them if you're going to, if you if you want to win, if you want to hold a trophy in your hands, uh, this is the expectation. And and that still remains to be seen too. The, the, as of right now, the sevens team is a couple weak flash in the pan. That let's see if that let's see if that's well, a no, version. that's that's I, fine. But but I, there's also there's also an, an obvious improvement. There's there's no doubt, but I'm let's let's see if this if this lasts to Brazil. There's you know well, one it's, it's tournament a, at the, one tournament at the end of a thing isn't Brazil. Well, US, it's, it's not, not one tournament. Cup. It was it was six months, right? It was it was all but two tournaments on the series that they were making okay. the top eight. It as wasn't I just said, they won London. As I, as I said, we beat Canada three times in a row. And we, we're making massive improvements in 15s, too. It's just that other teams are making improvements as well. Some of the things that we look at, those old scores, you, you, you're looking at, did we forget that, yes, we, we lost to Ireland 22-10. It was pissing rain out, and Emmerich had a lucky interception. It was great play, but a lucky play, just as you said when, when Ireland did it against Canada. If, it wasn't, if it, the weather was the same, the score might have been the same, too. I'm just saying that it, 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 there's a lot in it, and professionalism, it, part of the refereeing part of it is that we don't get exposed to it. But to think that money is not the thing, money isn't the thing. It's love that's going to get it going, and then guys really pushing. And I think that you know people do emulate and want to be like these other guys, but Chris Wiles is still there. And, 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 you know, but for, but for something that happened that, that is nobody knows what, what it was, Todd clever would still be there. And, and Mike Petrie has been the scrum half for eight years and then we can't get enough, you know, there's nobody coming in behind them and we needed to find a fly half from another country twice. And like, What's happening in behind it that is saying that, hey, we we what are we doing to develop our players so that there is pressure and there isn't the same guys over and over again, and and that there is something to say like, you know, I love Mike Petrie and he's one of the best players I ever coached and he's one of my very very closest friends. But nobody else has been a scrum half at all. That, and I think that that would make Mike better. I happen to think he's actually playing really well, and I have no idea why they pulled him in the Scotland game. And but, you know, that's just that's what happened. But the this is we need to develop nines and tens and sevens, and we need to develop people who can play and be effective. But all we're doing is saying, well, if we were only professional, if we were only professional, you know what, dude? We're not. 
we're not. And by professional, we're not being paid. But if we were acting professional and we had a structure in place that was professional and that people felt like they should be a part of, they don't. And we haven't had one. And we destroyed our club system years ago. And here you go. This is the fruition of it. This is what you get. I, I, um, okay. We're not, I guess we're, we're not going to get to my fun part about predicting pools, which is no fun. But um, uh, <laughs> half, halfbacks. We can predict. All right, no, we will. We will. I'm, I'm, I'm just being snotty. We can have fun just, and have fun. Uh-huh. I, I know. I'm just being snotty. Um, the, the halfbacks. Let's go through. Uh, you know, I haven't looked at the the rosters of the the PRP teams and the ARP teams as last year, but I I'm willing to bet that if you go through the the lineups of the top twelve college teams and the ARP and PRP teams, and you try to find U.S. born and developed nines and tens, how many are you going to find? So that's what what we're talking about. 30 teams, how many of those 60 positions are U.S. born and developed? Eight? Five? It's a really small number. Yeah. And, and you know, it's on. That kind of thing. I mean, you, it's, it's interesting. You want to know Appreciate. why? You want to know why? Yeah, well, I'd, I'd love to know why. I'll tell you exactly why, because I coached in it. And, and the reason is that the national team – hasn't been responsive or given a damn about the club domestic scene ever. And so it was like, screw it. What the hell are we going to have a guy that's here who's American who's going to get yanked from us? All we asked ever was to say, when are you taking the players? We will have our final at a different spot. Then they changed it. Then they Seven years in a row, they changed the day of the final. They don't even have a final anymore. Yep. Yeah, no, so that's fair. That's guess totally what? Fair. That's why. Exactly <laughs> that's why. That's why we have all foreigners and guys who were second, who were just the second guy. That's the reason. Exactly mm-hmm. the reason. It's not what, anyone else's fault. That, it was that that they want to win and they feel that's their best chance to win. But we're going to give ourselves the best chance to win. We... You do a lot better just for these foreigners that, that get brought in are very good players, but they're certainly not the second coming of Christ. If they were, they would be still overseas. So they're not. They're good. But, and they get a little bit of help, whether that's in the form of an apartment or a flight over or a crappy job or whatever it is. And, and that tends to be the case. And some teams pay, but... They, they they may make money. It's not a particularly a lot of money, but they that could all be getting done for American players. All of it. It would be amazing. You can have an American guy getting that. They're not getting it. All right. that, no, that's, 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 that's fair. fair but... I understand what you're saying, but in, in Alex mixed in the question in college. So you can't tell me that a guy like Russell Webb and Johnny Linehan and Luke Mokey and Sean Davies is playing club now. And, and 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 those guys and Nico Kruger um, are there instead of American kids because those universities are afraid those players are going to get pulled away. And it's a case like Sean Davies, that guy was recruited to Glendale and recruited to life, 
And they knew all along, or thought all along, that there was a very good chance he would get pulled away. And that's what they thought, um, even though it proved to be he wasn't going to get pulled away all that often. So I, I, what you're saying may be true or may have been true, and it may be true for some cases, but there are still plenty of cases where people just bring over hired hands because it gives them the best chance to win. And I'm not looking down on that practice. I'm just saying that people want to win, and if they're going to bring over foreigners, they're generally going to do it in those positions that are harder to coach, that where the kids come in less ready to be good at those positions, and where they have to spend more time to make them good. And let's be honest about it. How many American coaches, even at the top level, are qualified or feel really confident about their ability to take a nine who's not a great nine and make him one? Or to take a ten who's not a great ten and make him one? I think it's partly our insecurity and maybe our attitude to actually develop those positions. And on top of that, wanting to win as much as it is anything else about how the national, not being able to trust the national team or yank the player where you just develop he's an American. That that that's it, it's not it's not true that the coaches are afraid. You have a seven or eight game season. It's a seven or eight game season. That's it. A couple games of playoffs. That's it. You you don't make anyone in that time. You develop cohesion. The time when you're making it is prior. You the the other fifty weeks or the the other thirty eight weeks you're making the player. It's not what's happening during the season. During the season, it's done. You're either good or bad. The game over, man. It's like the World Cup or when you have an international assembly. Like, if you think in an international assembly you're going to develop someone's skill, you're on crack. You develop cohesion. That's it. All right. All right. So, so we needed to develop a cohesion. And one of the things about the buildup to this World Cup for the Eagles, and we talked about it, was this was the best buildup that they had. Uh, the best number of games, um, a real investment in the right timing as well as as the games, things like that. And what we ended up having um, was a lot of changes in the lineup. And we had some some shifts that were were out of Mike Tolkien's control. Uh, Samu Manoa not being available until late was out of his control. Uh, Scott Lavalla getting hurt was out of his control. There's some stuff that uh, was in his control, like Todd Clever being dropped. Certainly, that's uh, that was a Mike Tolkien decision. Um, but it was also Mike's decision to shift around certain players in certain positions. And um, it's it's a classic thing of of the idea of an unsettled side. Why we didn't why we didn't pick a certain team to ride through. I don't know why we didn't did that. Um, I don't know why uh, certain players were suddenly got minutes right at the end. I don't know why after one good game at fullback, Blaine Skelly was then put in fullback against Samoa for the World Cup when Chris Wiles has been the fullback for years. Uh, there's a lot of shifting and changing. I don't. I, I think one of the issues for the the Eagles is cohesion. And there were some weird shifts around, and 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 Bruce, we talked about this. Um, I, I'm I'm really curious about what other people think about it too. Is the is the idea of of U.S. born versus overseas trained players, and and there are some good ones, and there are ones who are um, 
really loyal to the team and and I put Wiles in in uh that uh category and there there are people who were born overseas and they've moved to the states at, at a young age and you know there's all kinds of mix right and and if you're listening you don't know I was born in England uh, my parents are American and and I didn't live in the United States full time until I was 16 so um you know but I always considered myself Amer- an American I had mostly an American accent at home and an English accent at school. You have players who are, let's, let's just say that they're roughly equal. Al McFarlane and Danny Barrett. Greg Peterson, Cam Dolan. Um, I'd say those two aren't equal, but you have players who've been brought up through the U.S. system who are suddenly, right at the last minute, it seemed to me, on the bench. And players who are from overseas put in valuable key positions. Um, Andrew Duratalo has played very well. But um, to your point, Bruce, where's our American number seven? Well, Scott Lavallo is probably going to be that guy, I guess. But he got hurt. Uh, We're seeing these last-minute shifts, and, and I get the feeling that Mike Tolkien likes to have a sure thing. And if he's not sure about what he's got or somebody is sort of like emotional or something, then he goes for the 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 player he knows what he's going to get out of him. And right before the World Cup, it seemed like he made a bunch of changes that struck me as just lacking a little confidence in what he had. Is that fair? I, I mean, I'm certainly not going to speak to Mike. for I'm not going to speak for Mike because I haven't spoken to him about it. Um, so I don't, I can't say that for 100% certainty, but there, when, when you do look at the team, there's, it's definitely heavily foreign. And that doesn't mean that those foreign players haven't invested an enormous amount of, of time and, and energy in becoming us players and fitting in. And it's obvious that they all know the national anthem and that they all take things and and all that stuff proud of it but it, it it also says to you know to some guys who you think like well we're gonna go and we're gonna work our butt off and we're gonna why it's why and that's and that's the uh there there is something to be said for that is why don't we have guys working their ass off well because maybe if they do it it doesn't matter and that, and that's this is this is everyone. This is every. This has always been the case. You know, if you have an accent, all of a sudden you're an authority, and and that's not true. I mean, and so, but that doesn't mean, like I said, I'm not criticizing specific players or anything. I mean, Andrew Duratalo has certainly played here for a while, but Andrew Duratalo was also the number seven when Pat Clifton and I went up in 2012 in Canada. And then hasn't been on the team pretty much since. And now is the starting seven. And also a lot more American than the 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 uh the other option. John Quill. So I don't uh, know that he's no 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 I'm I'm not I'm not again it's a specific a specific group of guys is irrelevant. There's there's you know you don't know who I certainly don't know all the sevens in America anymore, 
And I certainly don't know all the sixes and eights and five. You know, so I, I mean, I used to. I, I don't know them anymore. So the, but the fact is, is that there are, there is a heavy foreign influence on the team. There's a heavy foreign influence on a lot of teams. Very, you know, as we've seen, there's a, a, a massive foreign influence on Samoa. Where the the vast majority are Kiwis, so again, it, it, if you want the American kid to fall in love with rugby and want to be a player, well, then there has to be a structure and everything in place for the American kid to actually do that. And because our club system is a disaster and 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 was set up to fail, and this is what you get. So you and, and so what you do underneath is really important for what happens at the top. Okay, I want to I want to jump in on this a little bit um, because I, I I decided to actually do some research. Um, 2010 collegiate All Americans. So this would be the group that, for the most part. You know, maybe one or two of those players might make the 2011 World Cup team, but really this is a group of players that we say should be groomed to at least have a look at international competition, okay? Um, and I'm looking at, at, first of all, I'll give you the USA Rugby All-Americans in the backs um, real quick because it's not that long a list. Chad Clark, Sean Davies, Keegan Engelbrecht, Sean Gallinger, Benji Goff, Colin Hawley, Seamus Kelly, Duncan Kelm, Ben Leotagaga, uh, Hunter Leland, Dylan Luby, uh, Ben Mattiolona, Dustin Munn, Threaten Palamo, Don Patti, Nick Regis, Hamish Roberts, Alex Ross, Chris St. Blaine Scully. Now of that group, a couple of them are on the Eagles now, three of them. Several of them have had significant national team looks. Um... And and there can be an argument that one or two of them have not really been given their very best um, opportunity. Uh, some of them, you know, are, are pursuing their careers. Dylan Luby went back to South Africa um, the day after he graduated. He shouldn't have been an All-American because of that. Um, but I, I would have to say that a lot of those guys got a, got a look. Um, the rugby magazine All-Americans that uh, Pat and I picked – your number nine was uh, Don Ponty and Chad Clark with an honorable mention for uh, Derek Fish and Sean Davies. Uh, number 10 is Keegan Engelbrecht, Nick Viviani, Joe, and then honorable mentions Joe Baker and David Guybe of Army. Joe Baker uh, is coaching rugby in Pennsylvania. Nick Viviani was, was the fly half for the Chicago Lions for several years um, with Marty Wiggins trying to give him an opportunity uh, he and I talked about getting it. He was he he wanted to have an American player playing fly half for the Lions, um, and Keegan Engelbrecht plays for the Olympic Club and and works in San Francisco. And I think um, is pursuing his career over and above being an international rugby player, partly because I don't think he's rated at international level. Um, that's just a quick look at that stuff. It's 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 pretty complicated. I will say that you know in terms of developing those athletes. How many of those guys that we mentioned either you – know, they might have gotten a look, but some of them are out of the game or some of them – we go back – shouldn't have been looked at because they were um, – you know, they, were, they weren't going to play for the Eagles ever. 
Um, there are some that have just say, you know, I've I've got a I've got a career going. Um, Alex Ross uh, seemed to be doing very well um, working in uh, the sports health field that he's working on in New Zealand and and there. Um, and some of them are still around. So, you know, or they hit a ceiling. Hey, I don't know how it goes, but I, but, but what I do know is the the club the club environment right now in some places is good and in some places is not. And I know it's hard to maintain that level unless someone is very, has a very, very special outlook. Well, first three out of 10, three, three guys making the Eagles and being on a world cup team is actually a pretty good strike rate. That's a really good strike rate. So that said, that's great. The, um, as far as the other players, whether or not they're they're good enough or not, a lot of times it's not worth – to some people, it's not worth making the investment. As we said, busting your ass hours and hours and hours for what? Really, for what? For an opportunity to possibly play in a World Cup in four years' time. It, it, it may or may not happen. And look at Scott Lavalle gets injured, and then it's done. And so that – a lot of guys say, well, that, that investment isn't worth it. I went to school, I played my rugby, I did my thing, and now I'm going to move on and I'm going to get to going on with my life. And that's a sensible, sensible thing to do. The other thing is, is, is just as you said, some of these guys make All-American and they're, you know, some of them are given it, some of them have earned it. Or what, and then they go to a quote-unquote elite club or a top club, and the bottom line is they're a freshman again. And they're not good enough. And then they, they kind of read the writing on the wall that some of these guys are a little bit bigger. And everybody was an All-American. Everybody was in an eagle pool. That that's just what you're playing against. And are you going to put up with this week in and week out? And then some guys there, they crack, and they don't want to do that either. So it is a pretty good – like I said, I'm not – um, it has nothing to do with the current team or last team. You, you could go through 50 million teams. Thank God we have foreigners that come in and play and come in and coach and come in and write. If we didn't have them, we'd have nothing. So foreigners have, have been a massive part of American rugby. And so we should be very, very thankful for them. What I'm saying is that when you're when you're going along and you're a player and you're seeing things like it's not to say that the people who were there don't deserve to be there. It's to say that we have taken an expedience approach, but you always have to take an expedience approach at the top level. Because it's about winning and losing. And if you say it's not about winning and losing, then you're lying. But all feelings being equal, and I would have I would hope that coaches would on the Eagles would think this, all things being equal, you go with with the US developed player. I, I, I would I would I'll I'll tell you that um with one hundred percent certainty that they feel that way. Yeah. That I do know. That all right. So, so we're talking about not uh, you know, number tens developed or not developed in the United States. What is the one name that anybody listening to this is now yelling at us? 
They're yelling, Volney Rouse, Volney Rouse. Okay, a really... I don't think anyone's yelling, Volney Rouse. Yes, they are. Every, feel... Everybody, well, you got to talk to more people in California then. There is a, you know, maybe it's unfair, but he's held up as an example of a kid who went through the entire pathway and then won championships on, on the only level he could play, right? In the in the Super League slash PRP champion, you know, that level and D1 club. And he won championships. And he's not been the number 10. We waited for a guy to make... We, we waited four years for Ash McGinty to be qualified. And that's just... It's... Um, whether right or wrong... I think that's a message that sticks in people. And it, it speaks to what you said, Bruce, about you know clubs getting annoyed at, at how things are, are done at the top level. Well, if, if you look at the 10 situations from an American standpoint, you, you'd look at, you'd definitely look at Volney Rouse and, and you'd be crazy not to. He's won four national championships. And when he didn't play, they didn't win. <laughs> And and the other guy that you would look at as a guy who is playing sevens now would be Will Holder. And you could say whatever you want to say about that first game against Canada. Number one, they thought Toby was going to be playing, and he broke his arm. They had the time to – and him and Duratalo, him and Duratalo just they, – they didn't explain the defensive structure of a first phase and got burned on it. And Will Holder's a money goal kicker. You can't take anything away from a guy being a money goal kicker. You can't take anything away from – you could say, oh, Will Holder, you know, you could say he can't tackle, but he was an all-state defensive back in California in football. So – and he was recruited to play football as defensive back in Division One, And he did play Division One football as a defensive back. And, and so that, that's another name that would say stick out at me. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong or, or right. I'm just saying – but there are there, – there's definitely people you got – you have Nick Barrett. You have, um, you have. There's all kinds of people that are around. Maximo de Asheville. I, I, I don't. I don't think Max is good enough to be an international fly half. But you know, you certainly can 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 put Max's name as a as a dedicated person who's never won a national championship into a. I think Max, in my in my opinion, humble or not is the best player who never got a real chance. Even when they took him to the ARC, they didn't play him. He never got a chance. That was a, that was a, a, a decorated pick just to say, all right, we'll, we'll take him just to say we took him. He never gave the kid a chance. Some guys are just better in game um, than on the training that is certainly true. I'll go to war with a guy like Max Monday Oshawa. I'm not saying anything bad about Will Holt. But a guy like Maximo, who is a gamer in every game he plays in, but his metrics don't hit, I'll go to war with him every day of the week before I'll go with a guy who's Will Holder, who's six foot two, has all hits all the measurements you want him to hit and looks the part, but isn't necessarily taking over the games he's in. So and I'm not making it a war against those two, but I'm just saying I don't feel like he was ever given his chance. And that's an American guy who deserved his chance. With him. Uh, you know, going back to the, the whole idea that the USA is pretty much doing what they've done all along, it's pretty true. The the Eagles, uh, this is this is the seventh World Cup that the Eagles have been in. Um, they missed 95. That was actually one of their better teams. They uh, 
they missed uh, qualifying uh, for 95 by losing two very, very close games to Argentina. Um, the stats pretty much hold up that um, if you adjust for four-point tries, the, the USA pretty much averaging 16 points scored per game and 36.5 allowed. And in this tournament, they're 16 to 32. Their best tournament, and this this is this makes me laugh because after the last tournament, so many people in the USA Rugby was saying this was the best World Cup the USA has ever had, and I mean it's just so obvious that 2003 was better. It's it's not even funny. 2003 was the only time they averaged over 20 points a game. They averaged 22 points a game, and they averaged 31 points given up, uh, which is not the lowest. 2011 was the lowest by half a point. Um, but for the most part, it's been that story of one really close game that they might win or might lose, and maybe another competitive game, and then it's a case of trying not to get destroyed by, um, the, the big, the big dogs. And I guess we're still there. I mean, you know, uh... 2003, USA played Japan early in the year and won 69-27. So they go in playing Japan again. You think, well, they're going to kill them again. Well, they won 39-26, and it was closer than that because the U.S. scored late in the game to kind of ice it. Um, And they were in danger of losing that game significantly. This is the same situation we're going to see coming up now. South Africa, we'll talk about South Africa in a minute. Um, Japan... Final game of the the tournament for the USA is, I think, very big in terms of how we remember uh, that tournament. Um, 1999, the USA lost to Romania 25-27 in a game that uh, Dan Lyle had to leave uh, at halftime. When he left injured, they were up 17-5. Had they won that game, I think people would have felt like, yeah, it was a pretty good tournament. But instead, they lost that game, and there was a lot of negative feeling about that performance. Um, I think we're in that situation again. See, I, I, I'm going to disagree completely. And I'll disagree in terms of 1999 as well. 1999, we played Australia, who was the eventual World Cup winners and were definitely the best team in the world at the time. And we scored a try against them. And... I remember. Well, well, that's true. But every uh, I wrote a column for Rugby Magazine complaining that people were were really harsh on the Eagles that year. People were just they just kept throwing out how disappointing they were, how badly you know they the played. The thing is, let, let's so. let's go back and say, what? Why don't we just enjoy the fact that there's a World Cup? Why don't we just enjoy the fact that we're that we're going to the World Cup and that we're competitive? And enjoy the fact that yes, we were beating a tier one nation. You know, Scotland's a, you know on the cusp of it. We we're beating them at halftime. We we got em, we got embarrassed in Houston in terms of they they played way better than they had then. They strung some phases together. They've done some good things, and there's been some exciting tries, and there's been some good stuff that happened. The fact is, what are our chances? Realistically, our chances of beating Scotland. Like realistically, you got to put your 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 testicles on the line or your house or your children on the line. Like 
what, 19 out of 20 times Scotland would win? Same thing with Samoa? Like, I'm just being now. I'm just being honest now. We're just talking honest. That's fat. That's fine. Except that at it, halftime they were leading. I understand. So at halftime I, you're thinking, I, well, at least I'm, you know they might lose, but you know this is I'm, going to be a pretty nice scoreline, and it they they were outscored thirty three to three. I'm thinking that. I'm thinking that. I'm just saying before the game. I'm thinking that it's. Hey, look it. It's a pie-in-the-sky dream. Yeah, we can win. We can, but it's not likely that that we win. But we can. And then given that Scotland was playing great leading up, very competitive against France, who was playing great, and annihilated Italy by 40 points. We couldn't do that. So the chances of winning were slim, very slim. And then the chance of beating Samoa, I mean, from a, a full-on, full-strength Samoa team, which they didn't have because Kane Thompson had gotten that red card and, and was suspended for the first game of the World Cup. But a, a Samoa team that took New Zealand to the bell. And, and yes, we had been competitive against them, but it, was, it, wasn't, a, it wasn't like, hey, we, we were never in danger of winning. And we had a a brief chance at the very end of one of the Pacific Nations games. But like, the reality is, I just say there's a a, a a 30% chance, or probably more like a, a 25% chance. So you're looking at like 0.05 times 0.25, and, and you're looking at, you have a 1.25% chance of winning the first two games of the World Cup. And we were acting like this is a foregone conclusion. Insanity. Oh, I don't think that we were. I, I look. I, I agree with what you're saying. I don't think anybody's saying the sky is falling. The sky is falling. Look, we're we're no better than we used to be. I think it's just important to look back and and, and I think look, there there is a potential for a storyline to, to develop that. Look, we're improving because we led over Scotland and we had a close game. With, well, not not really. Historically speaking, we've had close games with teams like Scotland are better than Scotland. So we're not really better than we were. Everyone is improving, like you're saying. I, I, but I don't think anybody's – I think it's important to keep that in mind. But at the same time, when you start – the first step of the Eagles, if we were to draw out and start doing little goals, what, what we can do to get better and, and close the gap, the first thing that I would have said is start beating Canada. Okay, check. We've now beaten Canada three times in a row. I don't care how we beat them. We've beaten them three times in a row. When we were losing to them seven, eight, nine times in a row before that. So check. We beat Canada. What should be the next step? to beat Japan, to beat Samoa, to beat the other Pacific Nations team. We beat Japan. So the next the next thing should be to beat a Samoa or a Fiji or a Tonga. You have a chance to beat Samoa. That should be your next goal, the next thing you want to check off the list. They had an opportunity to do it. It was within reach, and I don't think that it was one out of ten times you should beat Samoa. We should beat Samoa more than one out of ten times. It's, that's the next team within reach. You just beat somebody else, see if you can knock them off. I think that's all it is. So we're just disappointed that we didn't get to check that next box. So no one's saying the sky is falling, I don't think. But I think it was a reasonable expectation to have a chance to beat Samoa. And it was a reasonable expectation to really push Scotland and maybe even get lucky enough to beat Scotland. As you said, other other countries have scalps. We don't. It's a reasonable expectation for us, this country, that's as good as some of those countries that have scalps, to occasionally get them. So it's okay to be disappointed when you don't. And, and, and it's, it's okay to be disappointed, but you understand, like, we just beat Canada three times in a row. 
That just happened. So step one just happened. We beat Japan, and I don't know that that was a full-strength Japan team, but we certainly did beat them. And then when we went to the World Cup, McGinty missed two very makeable, easy conversions that on, under normal circumstances, Aji puts those over. So, which puts us in a four-point game, which makes that finish a lot different. And, and uncharacteristically, he missed them. So, and that left us into a lurch, but, and, and that's just the way it went down. So we, was it a four, five-point game? I'll get my math right. Actually, considering I was a math major in college, that's pathetic. But the um, but that that all said, then you you would have to say that yeah, it, look, nobody wants to lose, and nobody. But we aren't. We we're kidding ourselves if we think that that's where we are. I'm not saying that that's not where we can get, and I'm not saying that that's not where we want to be. But we're kidding ourselves to say that's where we are. And I said a 25% chance, not a 10% chance. But the, um, the, that's all I'm saying. And I'm not – I'm just – this World Cup will be – what's been happening is, hey, you're seeing a lot of good things. They're not making jackasses themselves. They're doing the right thing. Everybody seems to be doing and saying the right things and – Hey, would I have done things maybe a little different? Possibly, but it's a lot, you can say anything from your living room. Well, can I can I chime in on this? Uh, I, I wrote something about this, first of all. So you should go to Golf Rugby Report and have a look. Uh, and um, the criticism that I put forth on the national team uh, performance was partly based on the fact that they were playing well. They are doing some things better. Being within shouting distance of even a, a a not top flight Australia team at halftime is great, and it raises those expectations. So you know, I you know, I put aside all the stuff about time together and all the other things and professionalize them, and let's just talk about what you need to do to accomplish to to continue to have that better second half to be uh, and it, and it follows right in with what. Mike Tolkien's been saying he wants consistency. He wants consistency for 80 minutes. He's not getting it. My point earlier about his uh, selections say that I'm not sure he helped that along with his selections every time. But I I think we all agree that the team is generally doing some good things. They are they're not they're not embarrassing themselves. At the same time, I feel like. Every World Cup, the USA puts his best foot forward. The players who are on the World Cup squad are so invested in this. They'll do anything at this point. They're, I mean, if they're making mistakes, it's not through lack of effort. It's not through lack of caring. They're doing everything they can. And so they, the USA always looks you – know, they, they always put everything they have into these performances. And the world media gets impressed and says, oh, boy, you're, that's really good. He said, yeah, okay, well – it's kind of like the abusive husband who comes home with flowers and uh, a bottle of wine and makes a nice dinner to say sorry to his wife, right? Is that the next day he's still going to be a jerk. And everyone's going to go home after the World Cup and just say, you know, it feels really good. And that, that sleeping giant, the dragon of the United States eagle thing will come take flight. And, and it's like, yeah, but we're still running into the same problems. If we can fix some of the other problems about 
internally, obviously, but also externally about allowing it so that players can be around and, and get real competition, then it's always going to be a four-year thing. Now, I'm hopeful that the Six Nations uh, competition that comes up starts in 2016 will be a step toward that, that there will be real uh, competition for players and, and we'll stop having a coach just say, you know, we just need time on the field and actually go out and hit one of those goals that Pat mentioned, like winning the Pacific Nations Cup or winning that Six Nations thing, not just playing, not just putting together a team, but winning it. And I think it comes down to the fact that we got to fill the, the in between those World Cups with more than just um, more than just finding time, and more than just sort of I, looking around for games. I think I 100% agree with what you're saying. I think that's the biggest thing for me for this World Cup is not the World Cup itself, but what comes after. I mean, I like I said, this is only the second one I really paid that much attention to, but. After the last World Cup, it was almost like a relief that it was over and then a complete re- like new genesis of what we were going to do. Well, Sullivan was out. We get in a new coach, and it's like we're starting from square one. It would be great if there's some continuity so we don't have to go all the way back to square one and that we can just continue to build. Because last time, I feel like it was torn down and then rebuilt versus continuing on to have some continuity and continue to improve and carrying on any momentum you have you're going to have a generation of guys that aren't going to play anymore after the World Cup. Happens to every team, every World Cup. Because, like Bruce said, this, they made it their their goal for the last four years, this World Cup. And for some guys, that's the last thing they're going to do. The reality is, if history's taught us anything, chances of Mike Tolkien being around much longer after the World Cup isn't very high. We've only ever had one co- coach make it the year, still be coaching the national team the year after a World Cup. Out of the five that have done it, only one has ever done it the next year, and that was Tom Billis. So, there's going to be turnover, there's going to be change, and, and you're right. The big thing for the Eagles is there has to be more than just the World Cup and qualifying for the World Cup. It can't be a two-year and four-year cycle being an Eagle. There need to be bigger goals, and there needs to be continuity in, in, in trying to achieve those goals, and we need something other than the World Cup to get excited about. And, and hopefully the Six Nations, and really the Six Nations Cup in and of itself should have been enough for us to get excited about, but for some reason it's felt like they didn't treat it like it was a big tournament the last few years as a nation and as a fan base and as a as USA Rugby, as American Rugby. So hopefully this Six Nations um, and it will help in that. And, and hopefully whoever the, the next coaching staff is or if Mike stays around, um, we can have some of that continuity and build instead of having to scrap it and start all over it. I want to go back to 2003, talk about Tom Billups. Um, 2003, th- this was the, the team that went to the World Cup and lost to Fiji by a point had a conversion from the touchline that had it gone over, they would have won the game um, for sure because it was the end of the game. Uh, they beat Japan. Uh, they lost uh, 39-15 to Scotland, and I think it was 41-14 to France. This is and, – and by far, this is the best performance by the USA uh, at a World Cup. They were still 1-3. This is a team that had Paul Emmerich, Phil Eloff, Mike Herkus – Three guys who arguably are probably the best ever at their position for uh, the USA. Um, although Paul Emmerich was playing fullback and was just getting started. Uh, Mike McDonald, Kirk Segian, Luke Gross, Alec Parker, not to mention uh, Dan Lyle and Dave Hodges. This is like the, the all-time all-star team of USA players. Court Schubert scored three tries in that tournament. 
and they still went one and three. And maybe that's uh, a reminder for me or a reminder for a few other people that it's really, really, really hard to win games there because that was a damn good team. And and Dave was playing a lot professionally. So was yeah. Dan. And um, so Emmerich did afterward. And uh, Kasijan probably could have. They had uh, Rian Van Zyl at one wing, who was uh, was a, an accomplished South African uh, player and moved to the United States. Um, Herkus was a professional. Kevin Dalzell was a professional. McDonald uh, was just getting started there. He was still in college, actually. We've wasted, you know, two to three million dollars in salaries on on a on a director of rugby, and 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 we destroyed men's rugby. Fractured college rugby and uh, haven't done anything to help high school rugby and have, uh, you know, we, we, I, we spend a lot on referees, but that's the, probably the, you know, every, every referee who's actually dedicated his time to become good and become sporty, they, they throw them out with the bathwater just when they're, just when they're starting to get <coughs> to be a very valuable resource. So why don't we, I think we got to take a look at ourselves. You take a look at the one, the the product at the end of the, at the end of it is the is the uh, is the national team, but until the the foundation is is built on something other than than uh, sand and water, then we are we are really destined for problems. I mean, college rugby is a disaster to say the least, and in in terms of how it's fractured, and. And um, men's rugby is makes college rugby look like the NFL. So, and the uh, in ter- in terms of how it's structured, and it's true. and then and uh, high school rugby, it, there's very little support, and the coaching structures and all that has nothing to do with education. It has to do with certification. Certification and education are two completely different things. It's you know tick the box, give me the seat, give me the give me the weekend certificate. It's absurd. We don't educate anybody. And if you look at you know you can go online and get all the Argentina coaching thing. They they bring the the best coaches in the world. They have them online. I mean you don't you don't have to pay to go to coaching clinics. Just go online and you can and you can get all the education you need. And uh, and and that's what we're still working on a model from the 1970s and 80s where you have to fly to get the information. The actual the information can come to you quite easily. All right. I want to, I want to end with pool predictions. I had it at the beginning. Now I want to end with it. Pool A, right now we're looking at Australia, Wales 2-0, and England 1-1, one and one, Fiji, Uruguay uh, bringing up the rear. Uh, and we said this is the pool of death. It has turned out to be that way. Somebody's going to be unhappy. Um, Australia and Wales yet to play. And Australia and England yet to play. So, Pat, how does that how does that pan out? I'm going to go with Australia getting through uh, as the winner, and I'm going to go. I just part of me. I, this is stupid, but out of disbelief, I just don't see England not getting through. So I'm going to say England as the second team. I just don't see them not making it through. So, and, so, and like, so that I know was, it's an uninformed, was, uneducated pick, but that's, that's what I'm okay. Doing. Well, look, well, the thing is that okay, 
England's one and one, but they've got six po- points in the standings. Wales is two and zero, oh, and they've got nine points. So the difference is less than a game's worth. So England beats Australia, Australia beats Wales. We've got a whole thing going on. Uh, Bruce, what do you think? Screw England. <laughs> I hope they get their ass kicked by Australia, and that it's embarrassing, and it's embarrassing early, and that they're drinking in a pub miserably with their crappy tasting bitter garbage talking about how everything should have been different and i think that is what we need to see in that's what we need to see we need to see england lose and then we want them to be good hosts cook us nice dinners and make our bed while we watch all kinds of great rugby that's not being played by them it's completely not feasible because they would not be able to cook us nice dinners. Pool B, uh, well, uh, I'll, I'll go along. I think it's Australia and Wales, but I think England still is totally in with a shot. Pool B, Scotland, South Africa. Scotland's at 2-0. and South Africa, Samoa, Japan are 1-1. One and one. USA is 0-2. Um, clearly what's going to happen is USA is going to win their last two games with bonus point and sneak in on the tiebreaker. Um <laughs> South Africa again. Remember, they got they loaded up on bonus points because they got um, they have uh, three bonus points. So they've got seven points. It's they're one point off as if they had gone two and zero. Oh. So that makes a difference. South Africa, um, you know, ha, uh, yet to play Scotland, yet to play the United States. They should win United States. Beat them easily. I think they're going to beat Scotland. I think they're going to be three and one, and I think they're going to win the pool. Um, Scotland has already beaten Japan, and Japan's World Cup uh, began and ended with that first game a fantastic performance. But they may be done, and they may lose the next two games. Thoughts? Look, Japan got the snot kicked out of them by by Scotland, and and you know Scotland played well though for a while, and then Japan just opened them up. And sorry, uh, Japan played well, and then Scotland opened them up. It was a. I'd love to see the USA beat Japan. It's going to be a tall order after the South Africa game. It depends on how they're going to play the South Africa game. You're going to remember that, uh, and and I say this, I've been saying it for months. Had we not played our best team in 07 against South Africa, then we don't know who Taku, at least the world doesn't know who Taku Nguyen is. Pool C, New Zealand 2-0, and no surprise. Tonga 1-1, one and one, good for them. Um, and a great uh, clash with Georgia, who's also 1-1, one and, one, and that's terrific for them. Argentina 1-1, one and, one, and I think most would say, seeing as Argentina's losses against New Zealand that they will win their next two and finish three and one. I don't think there's much uh, debate on that one. And Pool D, Ireland 2-0, France 2-0, Italy 1-1, Canada and Romania. And I guess, you know, we we talked about whether there's a big game in that one, and I suppose that would be um, Ireland-France, which is uh, on the last day of, of pool play. It's the second last game. The last game of the entire pool play is USA Japan. But uh, you know, Ireland has had uh, just their their two easy games so far. They play Italy and then they play France. So Italy has a shot. Do they have a shot, or is it just uh... Italy does not have a shot? And uh, as I've said, even the last one, 
I'm picking with my my heart here, and that I, I root for Ireland after I root for the Eagles, and uh, I, I think France uh, probably will win, but I'm going to pick Ireland just because. Italy had so about Ireland won, France two. Italy had about as much of a shot as Fredo had in that rowboat, um, and the then I would say Ireland's going to beat France. I think that would be that would be great. Um, you see a France New Zealand quarterfinal would be fantastic. Ireland Argentina quarterfinal would be fantastic, and then and then I think that uh, I actually think that if England were to win the pool, that South Africa and that England and, and Australia would go through. I don't know if Wales is going to have the legs to win a quarterfinal match against South Africa. I, I don't think Wales is going to beat Australia. And uh, so that would be, but, you know, we'll see. I didn't think Wales was going to beat England either, but it made me very happy to find that out. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I think that England has done a very nice job hosting this World Cup. England learned a lot from Wales in 99 and not to be quite so embarrassed about being uh, promoting and, and, you know, getting people excited to go see games and trying to, um, convince non-rugby major rugby fans to go see games. They've uh, the attendance has been great. The venues look really good. They've lucked out in the weather, which has been uh, really really good for them. And uh, world rugby could stand to have this happen because they get um, pretty much all their uh, operating revenue from the World Cup. It doesn't have it doesn't come all in one lump sum, say the day after or anything, but. But they could stand to use it because, um, actually, the the most profitable World Cup was 2003. Uh, France had uh, in 2007 had the most income, but they spent most money as well. And then uh, New Zealand was just a smaller version, the whole thing. So this will be this will be good for the game. It'll be um, it's really fun to watch. Um, I'm happy that England has uh, done a nice job. And as you said, Bruce. The England fans may well be watching uh, through the second half of October uh, without a team to root for. How funny would it be if they were joined by New Zealand fans? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that would be that would be funny. I think I think we're in for an, uh, another upset or two, uh, and and uh, the knockout stages are going to be uh, pretty exciting, pretty compelling. So uh, we'll we'll see. Um, how that works out. So, um, and South African fans. Are we going? Are we going Argentina all the way? Argentina versus well, Wales. It, it would be. Know. That would be. I mean, I think Ireland Argentina is going to be an extremely interesting quarterfinal. I don't think. I don't think that France can beat New Zealand, but I didn't think so in 2007 either, and I didn't think so in 1999 either. So you never know what the hell is going to happen in that. The I unfortunately I I would really I would really like Scotland to beat South Africa. I just don't know that they have it in them to do it. But if if they could do that, then you could see Australia and and Wales go through, which would be great. I think Australia would win and they would go to the final. And then to see Australia play the Ireland or Argentina in a final would be awesome. No, Ireland or Argentina would have to play. So it would be Australia and New Zealand in a final. I, I don't think Ireland could 
could beat New Zealand, but they certainly be very – if anybody could, it's them. I think that's the team that could beat them, and, and then we'll see how see how New Zealand's, you know, dad's army matches up against the uh, – that World Cup is still going to be interesting. I just really hope that England loses this weekend. All right. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up uh, for this very long uh, episode of Rugga Matrix America, uh, brought to you by Aircraft Charter Solutions. Uh, check out RuggaMatrix.com uh, and GolfRugbyReport.com uh, for uh, the still undefeated Lindenwood Belleville Lynx, at least in uh, conference play, and, and their coach, Pat Clifton. And for. Wow. Yeah? That was my yeah. Lynx. Meow. Oh, meow. <laughs> <laughs> and and the coach of the 4-1 Iona Gales, Bruce McLean. We all want to thank you for listening to Rugga Matrix America. Mm-hmm.